Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 828 Podcast. This is the inaugural episode. Inaugural? Inaugural? How do you say that? Which way sounds more intellectual? I don't know. This is the first episode. And uh, I'm doing this one solo, without any pomp, without uh, any lead-up, without any indication that it was coming, without any marketing, all horrible things, really, if you want to get listeners or whatever. And uh, that's cool, because that's just the way it worked. It's kind of a random Monday evening. Well, it's not super random, and I'll tell you about that in a second, but... uh, it, for all intents and purposes, it's a random Monday evening, and we're recording this because uh, I've been ready to do it for a few weeks and haven't pulled the trigger, and I just kind of got fed up. I'm like, you know what? We're just going to do it. Is my voice the greatest? No, I'm tired. I played basketball, and uh, I'm a man in my upper 30s, and after I play strenuous sporting activities, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I just sound like I've been screaming for, for you know, for hours. And I really wasn't, you know, because I didn't really have much, much of my breath, which means I didn't have really enough energy to say much of anything. I definitely was not screaming. But, uh, yeah, this is where we are. So let me just take just a moment to tell you what this podcast is going to be all uh, a lot about. Um, as you've probably already uh, picked up on, there's going to be a lot of complaining about uh, you know joint issues, uh, herniated sections of the anatomy, things like that. Yeah, so get ready for that. But uh, let's go over. A few of the things that uh, I would like this uh, this show to consist of. These are some topics that will be covered. We're going to talk about sports, and that is actually the reason why I'm on here tonight. This was this is going to be the actually a sports podcast. So what I've got in mind is uh, kind of having categories, maybe two or three different different podcasts, and we'll see how it goes. But uh, I thought I'd do one that was sports related and actually have a partner and uh, that is the plan and uh, my partner who will be joining me on future episodes he couldn't do it tonight he was uh, he's a he's a teacher he's very uh, giving of himself you know he just uh, you know he, his time is taking up with taken up with uh, you know uh, food shelters and help, helping old ladies across the street and mentoring the future of our nation molding young minds and uh, he was just too taken up with that tonight so he couldn't do it tonight but uh, he'll be on the future uh, episodes of the sports podcast and in a few moments we will actually discuss some of the sports games and uh, so we're also going to be discussing such things as coffee yeah that's right I'm a bit of a coffee I, I, I tell people I'm a coffee connoisseur, but then they use these terms in reference to coffee, and I'm just kind of like smiling and nodding like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That that other stuff is horrible. What you said, that's the best. Those are the best machines. 
$800. Yeah, obviously they're the best. Uh, maybe we'll talk about beards. Because, you know, everybody wants to talk about beards. I know I sure do. News and politics. Yeah. Again, probably going to have its own separate, um, separate show. Because I consider myself somewhat of a political junkie. But at the same time, man, doesn't politics get interjected into enough of our lives? I mean, I like reading about it. I'm interested in, in that sort of thing. It, it, it piques my interest. But enough is enough, man. Can we go five minutes without having someone's uh, agenda being pushed on us, politic someone's political agenda? Do we have to face that in random things throughout the day that really have nothing to do with it? No, you know what? Part of this is going to be a, a few minutes for you to push that stuff aside and listen to something that has absolutely nothing to do with that, or it's not going to be influenced by that necessarily but we will be discussing those things and uh you know maybe i'll throw the flag up there and say hey we're about to talk about politics so you could just fast forward for the next you know ever how many seconds or minutes uh we're going to talk about society and culture because um it's been rumored that we live in a society and at some point i'm told that we had a culture the current culture of today we will be hitting on, uh, which is probably a great point, right? This is a great spot right here for me to tell you, in case you don't know who I am, I am a youth pastor, and I'm a dad of two, and uh, I'm married, and I like long walks on the beach, and puppies, who... You will, by the way, probably be hearing from at some point because my dog, Ivy, is at my feet right now. She's cute and awesome and really annoying. And um, especially when I'm eating in her general vicinity. She's very annoying. Because I feed her. I put food in her bowl. I keep it full and she has water and I give her treats and it's never enough. You know? It's it's never enough. She's never satisfied. Might have something to do with her being a she. <clears throat> Sorry about that. But she's like she just it's never it's nothing is ever good enough for her. She's she's so obnoxious. Moving on. Leadership. We're going to talk about leadership. How did I even get on that? I don't, I don't even know where where that came from. Uh, we're going to talk about, why was I talking about my dog? We're going to talk about leadership also. It's very important to me. Uh, you know, not, not real good at it, but I, I enjoy hearing those that are discuss it. We're going to talk about entrepreneurism, or is it entrepreneurship? I don't know. It's things that have to do with being an entrepreneur or freelancer or something of that sort we're going to discuss those things and hopefully we're going to have guests on who are um one christian and two entrepreneurial which brings up the 
topic of Christianity and religion. That will obviously be discussed. Oh, that's why I was talking about my dog. I'm trying to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, you know what? Let me put a pin in that for just a second. Health and nutrition. We're going to talk about that stuff. Uh, I like to hit the gym and I like to eat. And nutrition is something that a surprising amount of people are very unfamiliar with or have very wrong notions and misinformed opinions about. Nutrition is something that is very uh, easy to understand, but a lot of people have gotten a lot of bad information over the years about it, and uh, we'll discuss the good information and maybe dispel a few myths, and we'll talk about uh, taking care of your body, and bodily exercise does profit a little. And um, another topic we may discuss is uh, kids and parenting. So I'm going to try to give you, as you can see, kind of a holistic approach to life itself. Josiah, why are you doing this? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, it's because these are things that we talk about amongst ourselves with our friends at work, at church, wherever it may be. These are the things that we talk about. Ladies, you might not be talking about beards. I'll give you that. Some of you may avoid news and politics in general, but you discuss it with somebody. And although this is a... Uh, I'm going to come at all these things from a Christian perspective. We have this idea that as Christians, well, we're only supposed to discuss the Bible and things of a spiritual nature. Right? I mean, if you're going to be uh, in the operating in the public sphere, well, you should only be discussing, you know, that those things, church and religion. But guys, we're all human beings. And I don't know about you, but I listen to all kinds of podcasts uh, from all kinds of different voices because I'm searching for knowledge on a certain topic or I just happen to enjoy hearing about certain things. You know, and we all consume these things, and typically we are consuming them from a source that does not share our, our values. So that really is where the crux of this, uh, this uh, effort uh, lies. If you're going to listen to a podcast about sports, if you're going to listen to a random show where they talk about coffee, society, culture, all that sort of thing, these are the things that you're interested in. I'm, I'm guessing. I am. I know a lot of people who are. Why not hear these things from someone that thinks like you do? Now, I know that's a bit of a stretch because anyone who knows me probably says you don't think like any other human being. Actually, you don't think. You could probably just stop it right there. But yeah, I mean, why not consume these things from someone who at least uh, looks at things from somewhere around your, your view, from your perspective? Which is not to say that uh, we're just talking into a bubble here, all right? Because 
if you stick around, you're going to be challenged. I promise you that. Some of your thinking is going to be challenged, and um, some of your preconceived notions may be challenged. But again, just stick around, and uh, maybe we'll both kind of figure out exactly what that means. I asked the question a second ago to myself. Why are you doing this? Why am I doing this? Uh, Let me just say right off the bat, there's nothing special about me. I don't, you know, uh, imagine myself to be anyone special. I'm not some guru. I'm not trying to get an audience. I'm not trying to uh, gain followers. I'm not trying to uh, become some sort of influencer, as the term goes these days. Like I said, I'm just a voice who thinks they're probably interested in a lot of the the same things that you are, and I'd like to provide the content that you're interested in uh, from a perspective that uh, you can listen to it in your car with your kids without having to worry about bad language or inappropriate discussions. We, we will hit on real things. Uh, there may be some stuff that's more PG just because of the subject material. And I'll try, I'll, I'll warn you before that. But, uh, yeah, that's the approach that I'm coming, coming from. I don't think I'm anyone special. If you think, well, who does that guy think he is? He just, he just thinks he can have a podcast. Who does he think he is? I, I think I'm a guy living in 2020. I don't know if you've looked around much lately, but uh, everybody's got a podcast. It's not that special. <laughs> it's, it's really not that special. Hopefully you will learn something. Hopefully uh, we'll be able to provide some sort of value to you. But I am absolutely not seeking to replace anyone. Uh, for example, if you're a Christian and you belong to a local church, you have a pastor. Don't you dare stop listening to him in order to listen to me. Okay? I am not your pastor. I am not seeking to be a pastor. Uh, the worst thing you could do is lump me in with these uh, these so-called YouTube pastors. And I did air quotes there. You couldn't see it, but I did air quotes. So, And a lot of people listening to this are probably like, what is he talking about? This is an issue in certain circles. I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there for the small amount of people who this will apply to. The rest of you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just disregard this. But to the smaller circle of people who this might apply to, um, if you think you're a pastor because you have a YouTube channel, I'm just going to go ahead and let you in on something really quickly, okay? You're not a pastor. The end. Okay? Church does not take place on YouTube. If you ever fire up this podcast, and uh, let's say at some point we get video capability here, and we're, we, let's say we put our podcast, it's a, it's a video podcast, and we put it on YouTube, if you ever see me get up behind a lectern and I've got like a fake background behind me and I am motioning as if I were speaking to an audience, <laughs> you can go ahead and, and call in the guys with the white suits and the butterfly nets. 
uh, you can go ahead and, and take this episode and send it to me in an email and, and remind me of what I'm saying right now. But that's not going to be a problem because that's not going to happen. Uh, I just repeat, although you will receive hopefully some spiritual uh, guidance slash comfort slash information, this is not a church. I'm not your pastor. I think that's clear enough, but I'm thinking it might become an issue, but just so we're clear, Right now, that's how this works. That's how this is going to work. Or rather, that's not how this is going to work. All right, another aspect that I'd like to include in this um, endeavor here is I would like to highlight Christian business people and entrepreneurs. You know, if you're, if you're taking a shot, if you're trying to do something on your own, if you've got a product that you make, you know, anything like that, I'd like to hear from you. Please send me an email at uh, the828project at gmail.com. That's the828project at gmail.com. And just put something in the subject line uh, to indicate that uh, that's why you're sending the email. I'd like to hear your story. Maybe we'll, we'll be able to, uh, to share it on here and uh, get you some exposure if anyone listens to this. That's, that's, uh, we're getting way down the road there, aren't we? Right now, as I record this, I have one listener, and that'd be my dog, and she's asleep. So, you know, I'm listening, so there's one, and then half of a listener in my sleeping dog. But, uh, if, if people listen to this, maybe we can, uh, get some exposure. So that's the828project at gmail.com. And having said that, I might as well tell you this is also going to be on Twitter. There's a Facebook page, and it's on Instagram. It's on the Insta, as the kids like to call it. And you can search all those platforms. Just search the828project, and you'll find this show. And... uh you know, everything we're trying to do there. S- a little bit blog, a little bit podcast, a little bit uh, e-commerce. Who knows? Who knows what? Who knows the depths that we will plumb in the interwebs? Anyway, The 828 Project. You can find us all over there. My personal Twitter is Real J Cochran. That's Real J C O C H R A N. And that's uh, on Twitter and jcochran24 on Instagram. So there you go. There's my self-promotion. And you can contact me on those platforms. All right, finally, one last thing before we, we move into the actual content portion of this episode. One thing I'd like to do for you, I'm not sure how often we'll do it. Um, maybe every episode, who knows. Uh, but I'd like to highlight something that I've, I've come across, um, a book that I'm reading, an application that I've, I've found. Uh, you know, who knows? Just something I've, I've come across in my many searches down rabbit holes, as I want to do. But today, what I have for you is an app called GetUpside. And you may have heard of it. 
I recently heard a pretty well-known radio show host uh, endorsing it. Uh, I had not heard anyone else talking about it before that. Maybe it's a little more well-known than I'm I'm aware of. But uh, you may have heard of it. It's called Get Upside. What it is, it's an app. You can get it from the Apple App Store or the Android App Store. Uh, it's a free app. It will earn you a handful of cents per gallon of gas that you purchase. The way you, you use it, you download the thing. When you need to get gas, you open the app. It'll pull up a map and show you all the participating gas stations in your area. It'll show you the price per gallon that they're charging, and it will tell you how many cents back per gallon of gas purchased that it will pay you. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about it. You can look it up yourself and, and, and see what it's all about, but it really is this simple. You find the gas station you want to use, you go there, you pump the gas, you print out a receipt, you take a picture in the app, it uploads it, and it factors in, it figures out how many gallons of gas that you've purchased, and if it were 8, 9, 10, up to 15 cents per gallon, it will uh, total that all up, and it'll put it in a little account for you. And it'll, it'll just keep adding up as long as you keep using the app. And whenever you want to cash out, you can cash out via a gift card or send it right to PayPal, which will go right in your bank account. There are no fees on it. It really is legitimate. I've done it myself. You, it, you, it comes out to real, actual money. Now, it's not a ton. It's not going to make you rich. But my own personal experience with the thing is I averaged between 10 and $15 uh, per month that I earned using this app. you And literally, you're, you're doing the same thing that you're going to do anyways. You might pick a, one particular gas station instead of the one that you normally would choose in order to utilize this app, but that's about the only effort, the only extra effort that you're going to put into getting gas because of this app, other than taking a picture of your receipt. So that's it. It's really easy. Again, it's not going to make you rich, but you think about it. If you just, uh, let's say the low end of that average was $10 a month that you, you earned by using this uh, app to get gas, well, by the end of the year, that's 120 bucks. I used mine to buy Christmas gifts. It's, it's not a ton of money, but it's something. And uh, like I said, it's free. It's free to use. Get Upside is the name of the app. That is G-E-T-U-P-S-I-D-E, Get Upside. And if you use the promo code Josiah2735, when you get it, you'll get an extra 15 cents per gallon on top of however much you're getting anyway the first time that you use the app. So that's promo code Josiah2735. Now, I am not endorsed by Get Upside. I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I'm not getting paid to tell you about this app. I am just telling you that I have it, and it works. All right, now it's time for the actual sports segment of the show. And uh, I'll give you a few minutes here about that. And when we're finished with this, we'll have some uh, social commentary, as I referenced earlier. Neither of them are going to be super in-depth, but it should give you an idea of kind of what you can expect. I mentioned earlier that uh, this was a, a random Monday. It's not actually just any random Monday because yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday. 
you probably know that. You probably watched it. If you did, the, you were joining 103 million people is an estimate I saw, and they're, they're saying that perhaps at some point here or there during the, during the, uh, the Super Bowl, between 140 and 150 million people uh, tuned in, tuned in, tuned in. There's my southern roots coming out. And uh, so, God, 150 million people. And, of course, that's not even counting, you know, the, the pirated uh, uh, Internet streams that uh, no doubt were, were in high use yesterday. So if you factor those in, I mean, you're just say north of 150 million people at one point or another tuned into that show. That is an insane amount of people. What is there, 320, 330 million people? supposedly in the United States. So if it's 330 and you had 150 million at one point or another looking at that show, you're getting fairly close to half of the actual country, at least that total amount of people, just to put it in perspective. Um, from what I read, that makes it the 11th most watched television show ever. And just for a little trivia for you, uh, of the ten other, the, t- the ten ahead of it, nine of those are other Super Bowls. And the one show that is, uh, uh, the one non-Super Bowl show would be the finale of MASH, which drew 106 million viewers. 106 million, million viewers for MASH. So the game was the San Francisco 49ers Kansas City Chiefs Chiefs win it 31-20. to 20. Just kind of look at the box score here. Jimmy Garoppolo had uh, completed 20 of 31 passes for 219 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. He was sacked only once for a loss of nine yards, and he ended with QBR of 40.6 and a rating of 69.2, which is a rating QB rating is just about nonsense. Patrick Mahomes, of course, 26 of 42, 286 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He was sacked four times, ended with a QBR of 61.6. The leading rushers for the Chiefs, you had Damian Williams with 104 yards on 17 carries. That's six yards a pop. He also scored a touchdown, and, of course, Pat Mahomes rushed for 29 yards, picked up a touchdown himself. On the San Francisco side, they, of the vaunted San Francisco rushing attack, 58 yards on 12 carries for Raheem Mostert. That's 4.8 yards a carry and a touchdown. And then Debo Samuel with that big 32-yard long, uh, long run. He had three carries total for 53 yards. Tevin Coleman added 28 on five carries as well to give San Francisco a team total of 141 yards. Kansas City ended up with 129 yards. And but I I, I, point, I would like to point out that uh, Patrick Mahomes on the final possession there, he's kneeling down and that was a, a little bit of a uh, kind of a weird thing there at the end of the game. You don't you don't technically see that or typically see that from the victory formation. He ended up kneeling it down, but he was trying to run the clock out also, so he took way more yardage off than a quarterback typically would who were just kneeling the ball down to run the clock out. 
and to the tune of about 15 yards, I believe, which, by my math, would have actually, if you give that back to them, it means they actually outrushed the San Francisco 49ers. Now, Damian Williams himself did have a 38-yard long run, so if you take that away and you take away Debo Samuel's 32-yard run for the Niners, the Kansas City Chiefs still outrushed San Francisco, who seemed to kind of get in their own way. They were, they were, they they had the rushing attack down. They they were rattling off. You know, you see at the end of the game. I, I don't know if I mentioned it just a second ago, but they had 6.4 yards per carry, as opposed to 4.4 for Kansas City. And I've heard a lot of people talking about it already, saying that uh, well, they just you know they got away from their identity and they started trying to throw the ball on third down, second and five. I think there was a particular possession where they threw twice, on the second and five, and then third and five, and they did not convert, whereas they were running so well, and based on the previous games that they played, you would have expected them to just continue running it because Kansas City, you know, uh, seemingly couldn't stop them. But to counter that point, I would just like to say that in 2020 – and the 2019-2020 season, if you kept up with the NFL this year, you noticed that it was, although San Francisco really did have just an amazing running attack, what we're really talking about here is their play calling, their play formation, the execution. Uh, very innovative stuff that they were doing. And uh, I'd like to just take a moment right there to point out Kyle Shanahan. The guy's going to be employed for quite some time. He's one of the most innovative, uh, thoughtful, out-of-the-box thinking head coaches that we've seen in a long time. And in the matter of, you know, what, a season and a half seems to have kind of eclipsed Sean McVay, who everybody had as their just their golden boy. And I think he still will be a fantastic head coach. But, uh, you know, if you, if you rub shoulders in an airport – with Sean McVay before the beginning of this season, you'd get hired as a head coach somewhere or at least an offensive coordinator. And it's amazing how quickly things change. The Rams having a rather down season for them in comparison to their expectations. And uh, this Kyle Shanahan guy is just kind of, he's, he's surpassed, apparently surpassed Sean McVay in his coaching prowess already. But then on the other sideline, you've got Andy Reid, who is just one of the, the greatest offensive minds of the head coaches right now in the NFL. And he's of the attitude, the philosophy that you, if you need a few yards, the best and most efficient way to gain those, those yards, i.e. on a second and five, would be to advance the ball through the air. There, it just removes – it introduces a couple of variables. You know, if you're running the ball, an interception is not a, a, a possibility, right? So if you're going to throw it, yes, you're introducing the variability, the possibility of an interception, and a couple more things like that. But it has been proven over time that those little, you know, five, six-yard in routes, they're so difficult to stop. So you've got a guy like Andy Reid on the opposite sideline – who's like, no, 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 throw it every time, throw it every time. Kyle Shanahan, San Francisco rushing attack, has been incredibly successful all season. 
um, with their formations, with their play calling, running it on second and longer, longer, second and medium, if you want to call it that. But it still comes down to everyone knows you actually have a higher percentage chance of gaining the yardage that you need by going through the air. So even though you have the 49ers who are just this run-heavy team and everybody expects them to run it, they know, Kyle Shanahan still knows that you, look, you sometimes you just got to throw the ball. And so I hear a lot of guys already saying, what were you thinking not running on second and five? You're not sticking with your strength. Come on, man. Even a mediocre quarterback who Jimmy Garoppolo is supposed to be much better than, but even a mediocre quarterback throwing a, a six-yard little little in route has a higher probability of gaining the yards that you need than running the ball up the gut. Now, that being said, the other thing that I don't hear these guys talking about very much is, uh, well, let's put it like this. They're not giving the Kansas City defense very much credit. The Kansas City defense, the first half of this season, was, you know, it was like, oh, man, Kansas City has a Super Bowl winning team, and it's not even close, except the hole that is their defense, the hole in their game that is their defense, is the grand, it's the size of the Grand Canyon. And it's like after the first six, seven, eight games, you know, never mind the fact that they had injuries and, and things like that. But after, you know, it's it's like that attitude set in. And from then on, that's it. Their, their defense was absolutely horrible. And, you know, we've already stamped it. It's done. Their defense is terrible. But people quit paying attention. And their defense actually incrementally kept getting better and better and better. And although early on in the playoffs, they gave up big numbers, if you go back and watch those games, it, it was kind of fluke things. It was weird bounces of the ball, that sort of thing that actually gave the other team uh, so many points. It wasn't so much the, the defense playing bad. So what you have is this subtle uh, progression and development of the Kansas City defense under the radar taking place and then early on in the 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 postseason weird things put them in deep uh holes as far as numbers go on the points on the board which made you go yeah see there you go again kansas city's defense it's going to be the ruin of them but it wasn't really the case and when you got into the super bowl here you have the kansas city defense holding the 49ers who are very accustomed to scoring over 30 points a game, 30 to 40 points a game, is just trashing people being held to 20 points. And all credit due to the 49ers, they actually, the Chiefs end up outgaining them on the ground. Kansas City's receiving, uh, uh, their main receivers were Tariq, Tyreek Hill, Nine catches, 105 yards on 16 targets, by the way. You think they like throwing to him? Sammy Watkins, 98 on five catches. 
And then Travis Kelsey had the touchdown at 43 yards. Damian Williams, 29 yards and a touchdown as well. For the 49ers, the leading receiver, Kendrick Bourne, 42 yards on two catches. Several guys in the 30s, including George Kittle, who's in just an incredible tight end. But he had a total of 36 yards on seven targets. So, in the end, in this modern era of the NFL, the modern iteration of the NFL is pass first, pass second. And if you can run, great, but pass. <laughs> and that's how it ended up playing out. The game was 10-10 at halftime. And then San Francisco jumped out to a 10-point lead in the third quarter. 20-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, and then the rest is kind of history. Kansas City scores 21 points to win the game, 31-20. to 20. And a lot of people were saying, well, this game was mostly boring. I'd give it like an 8.5 out of 10, honestly. I mean, it was super close. And I actually heard one of the one of the guys calling. I can't remember if it was Troy Troy Aikman or Joe Buck, who made the uh, the statement when Kansas City scored that first touchdown in the fourth quarter, which made it twenty to seventeen. One of them goes, "Look, Kansas City is right back in it," and I'm sitting there going, "They were down ten points. Have you seen this team play all year?" If this were a basketball game, it would be like the Chiefs were down a bucket with four minutes to go. So I just kind of had to shake my head at that. Like, you're down 10 points? Big deal. Uh, But then they come roaring back, and you'd say, well, that was, for three quarters, it was one of the more boring Super Bowls. And for the fourth quarter, it was one of the more exciting Super Bowls. But really, I, I, I... I don't think so. I think it was pretty good all the way through. You had some uh, conservative play calling. You had some uh, mishaps. Uh, Patrick Mahomes throws a horrible interception for his his uh, first interception, and then his second one, he throws it behind the guy, and it bounces up in the air, and the uh, guy comes down with it. A little more of a fluky kind of a thing. The first interception, uh, the, the, the outside end – had containment on him, and I don't think he was expecting that, so he had to stop rolling out. He was rolling out to his right. The end followed him out there and actually did a really good job, and so he had to stop rolling. Well, the guy he was trying to throw it to, uh, he kind of had to stop too, and once, once Mahomes releases the ball, the defender just steps right in front of it and takes it. I don't know that it was – I said it was horrible. I don't know that it was quite that bad. Um, but it was the worst one that I've seen him throw. And uh, if you followed his very short career, he has not thrown (laughs) very many interceptions to choose from. If that's the worst interception he throws in his career, he will have done quite well. So, again, it's an 8.5 out of 10 for me. I didn't really have a dog in the fight. Neither of these teams were my team. I think if you're San Francisco, you feel really disappointed. You probably feel like, ah, we had that game and we just let it go. You know, we did this to ourselves. 
if you're Kansas City, you you feel super excited. Obviously, I mean, you won the Super Bowl. As an objective third party, I'll say this. The Kansas City Chiefs are like a Ferrari. And for the first two and a half quarters, you saw them just bury the gas pedal and they're they're peeling out smoking the tires and toward the end of the third quarter the rubber finally grabbed and they shot off and you saw what they're capable of doing Niners fans I'm sorry for you you probably feel like you really had a chance to win this yeah you had a chance to win this but the whole time you're just hoping that that rubber doesn't doesn't get traction and you almost did it but uh it's hard to keep the ferrari down isn't it hard to keep that ferrari under 90 key takeaways from the game again i thought it was a above average game as far as entertainment value goes i i do think a couple of things were settled i think first of all you had, I think, the two best coaches in the NFL were on the sidelines. And I think the main thing that made this a successful Super Bowl is you had absolutely, without question, the two best teams in the NFL. You don't always get that with the Super Bowl. You don't always get it, but we had it yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers were the proper and rightful representatives of their conferences. I think there's a, those are the two best teams in the NFL. And, you know, for once, we got to see the two best duke it out and settle it on the field. The other thing I think that uh, was established is that Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback playing in the NFL today. I'm a little bit partial to him because he's an ex-baseball player. And uh, I like those guys. I uh, like the uh, the artistry that they bring to the game. And uh, I think he walks away saying, I'm a Super Bowl champion. I'm the best quarterback in the NFL. And how about the fact that he's this is only his second full season? That is just, just incredible. Andy Reid gets his Super Bowl ring. He does not go down in history as the winningest head coach to not have a Super Bowl ring. Because that's the way he was headed, and they kept bringing it up, and they kept, you know, he he was not the Dan Marino of head coaches, and as a Dan Marino fan, he was my guy growing up. It, it hurts because they kept saying that in the the week leading leading up to it. Will Andy Reid finally get his his Super Bowl ring, or will he be the Dan Marino of head coaches? He was not. All right, you can quit saying it now because it hurts me. But. Uh, the guy's a Hall of Famer without the Super Bowl ring, but now he's got that to boot. So congratulations to them. Sorry, San Francisco. You know, uh, better luck next year. And we'll probably see you then. Now, as far as the social commentary segment goes, before we begin, I'd like to issue a disclaimer. I mentioned earlier that you know, you're not going to have to worry about vulgar language or anything like that. Uh, but the subject matter that uh, we're going to discuss here 
is more of your PG uh, level. If you got kids 12, 13, 14, uh, maybe that's about as young as you're going to want them to listen to this, my personal opinion, because uh, I'm going to touch on the subject of human trafficking. And, uh, you know, there's some pretty ugly stuff that goes along with that. So let that be a warning to you. You might want to listen to this first or, uh, you know, wait till you're alone if they're in the car with you or wherever you might be. And I also mentioned that I would throw a flag up if we're about to get in politics. So first show, you're going to get in politics, Josiah? Well, based on what I'm going to talk about, some of you may consider it political. I, I do not. I consider it a moral issue. So you be the judge. Don't say I didn't warn you. You might want to. You you might want to say, hey, you should have thrown the flag. But uh, I personally don't see it that way. So we're going to talk about that Super Bowl halftime show. That ridiculous Super Bowl halftime show. And a lucky give you an interesting point of view on it. Um, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions about it already, and some of them are pretty far out there. Some of them are just, you know, just completely appalled. Look, it was absurd, and you might even say pornographic, but I don't know if you've seen a Super Bowl halftime show in the last couple of decades. It's Nothing out of the norm. But the thing that caught my attention was some of the coverage of it and some of the reaction to it. And that's really what I'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk about what exactly it represented. The NBC Bay Area affiliate Twitter handle. This is what they put out. They said, seizing their opportunity to make a cultural statement... Jennifer Lopez and Shakira infused the Super Bowl halftime show with an exuberance and joy that celebrated their Latina heritage. That's right. Exuberance and joy. That's what that was. I don't know if you saw it. I didn't actually watch the thing. I saw some of the highlights of it. I don't recommend anyone views that stuff. But exuberance and joy that celebrated their Latina heritage, which prompted me to ask them this question or to uh, retweet that and, and say this. Curious how the Me Too crowd and the Latino community feel about that Super Bowl halftime show. Feel like your views, culture, were well represented? And so I ask that of you. If you're, if you're listening to this today and you're of Hispanic heritage, is what we saw yesterday, is that an accurate representation of, of your culture? Does that accurately represent what you're all about? And as far as the Me Too, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I, don't, I don't think so. But as far as the reference to the Me Too crowd, let me give you some information and then we'll kind of come back to that. Did you know that over 100,000 American children become victims of sex trafficking each year? And each year, the Super Bowl 
is the largest child sex trafficking event. Are you aware of that? The Miami Herald had a, a really interesting article uh, leading up to the Super Bowl about just this thing. The title of it was called A Bonanza for Traffickers, Why a Miami Super Bowl is a Magnet for Sex Trafficking. Now, I'm not going to read you the entire article. Uh, you can find it online under that that title. But I did take several portions of it and condense it, and I'd like to read that to you here just to kind of give you a, an overall view of what's going on. It says, Everybody who is somebody is rolling into Miami for Super Bowl 54. But accompanying the glamorous parade of celebrities, CEOs, Hall of Fame athletes, and National Football League VIPs is an underground stream of no-name girls and young women, often branded with barcode tattoos on their inner lower lip, dulled by a diet of drugs, painted with makeup to look older, bruised or burned in discreet spots, and living in a state of terror. Trapped in the life of the sex trafficking business, they are an essential element of the Super Bowl revelry, permeating South Florida in the build-up to Sunday's big game at Hard Rock Stadium. Their pimps, described as modern-day slave masters by law enforcement authorities, aiming to make upwards of $1,000 per night per woman under their control, have converged here for the same reason they converge on any mega-event city inundated with 100000 Mostly male visitors. Supply and demand. Traffickers have already set up at resorts in Miami Beach or no-tell motels on Southwest 8th Street or extended stay hotels near downtown. They've placed ads on sex for hire and adult entertainment websites and they're trolling lobbies, pool decks, bars, and Super Bowl parties to find Johns ready to pay $100 cash for 30 minutes in a room with a person they may think of as a prostitute, but who is more likely one of 40 million victims caught in the $150 billion sex and labor trafficking industry. It is second only to drug trafficking as the world's largest criminal industry, according to the International Labor Organization and the nonprofit Polaris Project. Before last year's Super Bowl in Atlanta, police made 169 arrests related to human trafficking, and that number was up from 110 in Minneapolis in, in 2018. Calls to trafficking hotlines increased 23% before last year's game, and two dozen victims were rescued, including five in one day, as a result of tips from hotels. For the organization's fighting the crime of trafficking, the Super Bowl is prime time because of the connection between sports and the sale of sex. The night before the 1999 Super Bowl in Miami, Atlanta Falcons player Eugene Robinson was arrested on Biscayne Boulevard at Northeast 22nd Street for offering an undercover cop posing as a prostitute $40 for, you know, her services. His teammates told the New York Times they weren't surprised. Many of the players had been visiting downtown for that purpose all week. New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft's road to the 2019 Super Bowl included a 14-minute stop on the morning of the AFC Championship game at the $79 per hour Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, police said. 
He was charged with solicitation as part of a widespread sex trafficking sting of massage parlors, where trafficked workers typically paid their bosses. Let's let me restate that: trafficked workers typically paid their bosses thirty dollars a day for food and lodging at the strip mall spas, sometimes sleeping on the massage tables, and seventy percent of the payment for each quote, massage, they gave during 12-hour shifts. The charges are still pending on Mr. Kraft. The Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office estimates that the average sex trafficking victim may be forced to take part 20 times a day, seven days a week. I'm trying to censor some of this. Miami-Dade State Attorney Catherine Fernandez-Rundle, quote, These are difficult cases because the victims are usually kids who have been traumatized, raped, drugged, and isolated for so long. Over the last decade, the laws have changed to recognize and attack this type of crime and the predators. If we don't hit the demand side, the business will keep growing. We take a victim-centered approach. We don't blame the victim, end quote. Uh, traffickers recruit vulnerable people. They used to find girls at malls, bus stops, or outside group homes, but now they spend hours mining social media to start chats and build trusting relationships with promises of love, security, money, opportunity, or even immigration documents. Once they have separated girls from their families, traffickers use threats of harm to the victims or their relatives physical and sexual abuse, deception, debt bondage, drug addiction, and manipulative tactics to force them into commercial sex. For police, conducting a sweep of prostitution hotspots in Miami is easier than mounting a complicated investigation of traffickers and their organizations, which leave no paper trail of transactions. The lack of legal consequences for John's makes it difficult to pursue the demand side. Although Florida did create a public database last year listing the names and photographs of individuals found guilty of soliciting prostitution. But the greatest obstacle to catching traffickers is the typical reluctant victim whose testimony is vital to making the case. But while Fernandez Rundle has touted her efforts to fight human trafficking, her office came in for harsh criticism for its dismissal of the credibility of four women and young girls who accused a Hylia police sergeant of sexual assault. The prosecutor's closeout memo cited the victims' backgrounds as sex workers and runaways, saying they would make shaky witnesses in court. But women's advocates say judgments like that only give license to traffickers. The FBI stepped in charging the officer in December. A guy named McGrath, who runs the CHANCE treatment program for victims, says, quote, Many minors don't see themselves as victims of exploitation. They see police as the enemy. They've been told that they will be put in jail, not their pimp. Recovery for these children is similar to that of domestic violence victims. It takes a lot of reintegration into society. 
It seems to be a topic just once a year, even though we know it's a major organized crime 365 days a year, he said. Compared to the health uh, care and securities fraud, the conviction rate is tiny. We hear about drug trafficking constantly, the raids, the ringleaders, the sentences. Why don't we hear about the criminals buying and selling people? Maybe it's because the women come and go. They are, listen, they are replaceable, disposable, forgotten. Now, I, this is, that's the end of the article. I'd like you to consider for a moment the hypocrisy displayed in reference to what we just read and what we saw with the halftime show and the woke girl power takes that came afterward. Again, (laughs) what this uh, Bay Area affiliate of NBC said was, Seizing their opportunity to make a cultural statement, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira infused the Super Bowl halftime show with an exuberance and joy that celebrated their Latina heritage. That's hypocrisy. I asked the question, uh, let me read that part again also. I said, curious how the Me Too crowd and the Latino community feel about that Super Bowl halftime show. Do you feel like your views, your culture were well represented? I ask the question of the Latino community because I don't see this as representing them very well. What I see from my Latino friends and the general Hispanic culture in my area, which is quite large, by the way, is a community that deeply values faith and family. Honest, hard work and actually fairly conservative principles by and large. I'm not exactly sure how exposed flesh and strip club renditions, literal pole dancing, quite convey those fundamental intrinsic values. Which brings us to the even larger point or question. How does the Me Too crowd feel about the events of the night? I had someone respond with the question of, Why would the Me Too crowd feel the need to have any response? Well, I thought after all of their efforts, we had solved the whole objectifying of women issue. Didn't we? Didn't we take care of that last year? We solved that, didn't we? Yeah, I'm being somewhat facetious. And there are plenty of things that got exposed during that movement that needed to be brought to light. Many indiscretions that needed to be addressed. And yes, the overall idea of men uh, treating women disrespectfully or behaving vulgarly toward them is absolutely unacceptable on the most basic and obvious levels. But to my question, if the idea is to legitimize the role of women in society, in the workplace, wherever, if the fight is for respect and restoring dignity, and to correct the typical barbaric male attitude toward women, then please explain to me how to reconcile the championing of this proposed philosophical course correction with what was on display at that halftime show. 
Do you think it is more likely that men watching that show were encouraged to, at least for that moment, objectify women or less likely? Now, don't give me this nonsense about how, oh, it's really an empowering moment, a display of how strong and powerful women are. Give me a break. That is nonsense if you've got any sense. If that's the case, I'm sure you'll find plenty of men who will just get right behind your movement. Plenty of men are going to chime in and just let you know how strongly they support this empowering of women. Oh, yes. If this is what empowering women looks like, then sign me up. No, the truth is, and unless you are incredibly naive, you understand this. Those women were appealing to the basest instincts in men. They were selling their bodies voluntarily for approval and affection. Selling their bodies. The very definition of objectification. They're literally objectifying their own bodies. Women objectifying women. Clearly, the men who clamor for and consume this sort of thing ought to be ashamed of themselves, okay? Make no mistake. And yes, they are the target audience, and by default, the ultimate impetus for this sort of thing. Just spare me the sanctimony, though, of laying the entire debt of objectification at the feet of men when some women are so ready and willing to objectify and delegitimize themselves. And I'll leave you with this. The problem is a mindset that knows no bounds of gender. This isn't a men versus women thing, okay? It's a mindset issue. It is a mindset that not only delegitimizes women, but it delegitimizes life itself. It delegitimizes the worth of a soul. And this desensitized mindset is a major factor, in my opinion, that leads to someone taking part in the selling and trafficking of another human. And it's bad enough when disgusting, vile men do it to you. Don't do it to yourselves, ladies. This is not a question of your self-esteem. This is a question of self-respect. All right, the first one is in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. It felt a little rough and clunky to me at times. There's uh, probably some dog sounds in the background, maybe even the sounds of pitter-patter of little feet who are completely unfamiliar with the idea of be quiet. Anyway, it's over with. If you enjoyed that, send an email to the828project at gmail.com and just put 828podcast in the subject line along with your commentary. If this show sounds like something that uh, you'd like to get more of, 
let me know about that as well. And uh, we'll see. I don't know. This is a project after all. Um, but if it was of any value to you, if it made you think, then it was a success. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, and if you are listening to this um, on a platform that gives you an opportunity to rate or review, certainly would appreciate that. The plan is to be back in the next few days with the actual sports podcast, probably on Monday where we'll kind of look back at the week and recap the Duke-North Carolina game, which is to take place on Saturday. Until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank <laughs> you.